Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1425, entitled 2023 Fall. (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast title is Podpourri Sachet. And that's what we're actually doing. We are sashaying in with a potpourri of assorted bits and pieces, catching up with mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And also, what's it? Um, oh, a bunch of uh, uh, units out there. The Audience, that's right, listeners. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome back. If they are indeed back. Well, we've been... Back last week, but this is the first time we've been co-presenting since yes. we've had our break. Uh, an actual break for Zero G, the first time since 1994. I know. How did that feel, Rob? Because usually we kind of go straight through. Usually you'll be soloing a little bit at that time. But how did it feel to have a break from Zero G? Well, I've had a lot of life changes uh, recently, and so it kind of meant like losing my rock, my anchor. Yeah. The yeah. albatross around my neck. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> the monkey on my back. The de- Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> it, it felt good, actually. I, it's strange, you know, a, a busman's holiday, a, a geek's vacation. Well, look, I mean, of course, caught up with a lot of content. I mean, you're going to do that. And, you know, it's not going to be too much of a surprise that I spend a lot of time knocking off Lego sets. Ooh, tell tell me, okay, so the, there's so many Lego sets. What did we build? <sighs> well, actually, that sounds like I went shoplifting, but it's not the case. I had a, a large stash of unbuilt Lego. Not surprisingly, they were all Iron Man related, all of them. <laughs> so they were either, and there was a very specific Iron Man ones too. They were all Iron Man mechas, which is to say, you know, you've got Iron Man minifigs. These are all mechas that he wears on top of his normal armour, so it's like Hulkbuster type stuff. Gotcha. Right up your alley. Not surprised. Yeah, Is, so did I set you down this path, Rob, when I brought you back the mini one? No, not at all. Uh, Megan bought me uh, a mini uh, mecha back from Iron Man toy mecha of the United States, uh, <laughs> and that was one. And I had others. <laughs> you already had a stash. So there was like there was like a um, uh, a Hydra Buster from the Captain Carter What If, which nice. was built by Howard Stark but piloted by an unsupersoldiered Steve Rogers. So there was mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. and there was uh, a War Machine Buster, which is like War Machine only writ large, and an Iron Monger. Mm with Obadiah Stane, and, and there were so many that I actually got used to building the same It's <laughs> very mindful, Lego. Yeah, it was actually like that. So I was watching, I was doing that while I was watching Better Call Saul. 
Oh, amazing. So, you know, there's a whole thing going on there. Uh, and, and, you know, so this is this is one of the activities I, I got up to on my holidays. And I might revisit Lego because as an adult, <laughs> allegedly going back in and doing that, which is what <laughs> I've done. So there's that and those all those mechas and yeah. um, and finding out that these toys, they give spoilers away if they're, if they're based upon television shows and movies. Yeah, so If course. you get them in advance of, of the thing, you could be spoiled. Yeah, I mean, you you try and do it in the right order. I think you'd yeah. be you'd be silly to be going out buying the merch if you hadn't seen it. But well, I get you, it. You can buy them and stash them like I did. Yeah, and true. Then, but then I forgot about them, you know. Like, but then you had a nice surprise on your break. <laughs> and then there's big play sets, massive play sets. Like, oh, there's there's you know. it's a whole world out there. I got into a little bit of Lego building last year. Oh yeah, and. I liked it for the mindfulness, although it's both mindful and frustrating if you get one of the really complicated sets for, like, adults that's, like, huge and complicated. But I, I really, like, just dipping a toe. There's Lego everything. Yeah, speaking pretty, of toes, when wild. you stand on the damn things. But... Oh, yes. Well, I wouldn't build on the floor. I reckon that's the mistake there. Well, I established a methodology where I use, like, a, a, a tray. Yeah. And I made a sorting tray. A sorting mm-hmm. tray, and I and I have managed to sort all the components and stuff yep. like that until it looks like a little bit of a miniature uh, steel scrapyard, you know. Yeah, it's the only way. You've got to have a pre-sort method. And having a tray means you don't drop as many on the ground. But there's a problem when you've got cats. <laughs> yes, they'll like to get amongst it. Ah, <laughs> oh, so you know, so many times I didn't manage to lose any pieces, which I'm really proud of. But what do you do with all the extra bits and pieces? They always come about five extra pieces. I know, and I feel bad. Just like what? Yeah, I, I kept them. They're just this. I'm a hoarder, though. So yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a hoarder in terms of Star Trek uh, lore too. But anyway, the. The, the whole idea of the, of the Lego was to sort of chill out my brain, mm. you know, yeah. And, yeah. but yet keep my hands physically busy because, you know, being a sort of a maker, artistic type, I like to work on stuff. Yeah. And it feels like being Tony Stark, I mean, apart from the fact that you, there's so many Tony Stark figures in all of this stuff. And and so I was the, building Iron Man labs as well, laboratories and armories. So That's they were cool. they were the sets that you could yeah. do. That was so much fun. I enjoyed the hell out of that. But, you know, that's really a geek type kind of thing. Oh, yeah. My secondary geek thing, and I'm dominating here just because you happened to ask me first. Sorry about that. No, please, take it away. The secondary thing was I got a mountain bike. Yes, you're out on the streets. Watch yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you now have five minutes to reach minimum safety distance. <laughs> um, okay, it's Hot Rod Red. Oh, Iron Man Red? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, specifically chosen for that. How did you choose your bike? Well, I actually needed a, a mountain bike because I'm doing a lot of um, uh, semi-rural bike path riding mm-hmm. and they're all mm-hmm. like compressed scoria or gravel or yeah you um, need a sturdy you need something sturdy and there's enough potholes and ups and downs and stuff and and yeah. I, I sent you a, a picture when i was on leave yeah. of, of um a pine forest i call the stand yeah it was very cool very moody yeah and it's it's just very stephen king and if i if i knew three other people three kids with mountain bikes <laughs> and walkie talkies i'd be there back in the 80s you'd be off yeah be off yeah so um yeah, so I've been doing a, a lot of that, and I call it Veronica because it reminds me of Tony Stark's Mark 44 Hulkbuster <laughs> suit, you know, or in my case, Bulkbuster. And it's been a lot of fun. And, and as I was riding along, because you do this, you get these, you get a lot of time to think when you're riding a bike. Totally. Um, I just imagined if the, if the Roman legions had bicycles. 
<laughs> How much yeah. more of the world they would have conquered? I mean, I, I don't think they could have made their roads any better. No. But I do wonder what they would have made their tyres from. Mm. You know, and that's difficult. You know, I mean, the Romans, they could have, like, uh, sourced uh, light chariot wheels, so maybe, like, you know, um, sort of wicker-type stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Light wood like ash and um, maybe clad them in, in, in copper or bronze or something like that, which would be bum-numbing when you think about it. <laughs> I mean, they would have some kind of suspension, maybe even leaf springs or something. But I reckon that because the, 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 the empire went into um, Africa quite a bit because they were mm. sending out, apart from grain from Egypt, there was like uh, exotic animals that they needed for the arena, so they sent parties out across Gosh. the continent. Yeah. And if they did that, then they probably would have found um, what they call Congo rubber mm-hmm. in, in the area now that we know as, as the Congo. And, and, of course, I don't think the Romans could have exploited it any more ruthlessly than the, the Belgians under King Leopold II. I wouldn't put it past them, though. You know, <laughs> Damn, don't give them. ideas. But I, I'm thinking that maybe eventually they, our bicycling imperials would have invaded South America to get it Amazonian rubber. Yeah. So, or would they have been really, because they've been really, you know, they're really clever Caligula, little clever boots, um, <laughs> would they have figured out how to how to jigger the latex in uh, dandelions because dandelion milk has latex. Really? Yeah. So if you, if you do some manipulation of that, you can get some um, rubber from that. So, you know, like the, the flower of the classical Roman world's soldiers would be on <laughs> riding on dandelion milk. One thing is is for sure and for certain, there's a, a satirist, a juvenile, um, and he would have had real wicked fun writing about the hilarious clatter made by a full century of armoured mounted bicycle legionnaires <laughs> stacking it on the, the Via Appia, on the Appian Way, which would make a whole farce of a military triumph. You know? <laughs> like, like, Great Caesar, beware the toga caught in the bike chains of March. A spectacular pylum at the... Uh, Malarium Aurum Milestone on the road to Rome. Oh, what a fall that was. I could just see it all. <laughs> so I'm just waxing totally lyrical there, off the topic. What have you been doing, Megan? Ah, uh, well, what have, what have I been doing? So did a bit of constructive stuff, like a little bit of decluttering of the home because it's a nice time around New Year's to sort of start thinking about ditching some of old books and clothes that you don't need anymore. Um, and I've started to realize I need to part with books that I will definitely no longer read or did not enjoy. Uh So did some functional things like that, but right before the break, I'd also bought a gaming PC. So there was a little Uh bit of time spent with me and the PC bonding. Um, so I'd love to say I got out and about, but there were some hot days that I just had to be inside and, um, with the air con and the PC. So played a little bit of, um, I got into playing Destiny 2, which is kind of a live online game you've probably heard of, but it's very hard to break into. But luckily I had someone who plays a lot and kind of guided me through and all of that. So I was very grateful for that guidance of of dipping a toe in the Destiny world. Um, So played a little bit of that, but also did a bit of reading of books, quite a lot of movies, which I think we'll talk about a few of um, later on. And, yeah, just kind of enjoyed that time. I know everyone talks about between Christmas and New Year's that's just if you've got it off work, it's um, you just kind of lose track of time, you get to just relax a bit. So I just kind of spent that time deliberately not 
trying to do too much, just spending a bit of time. Yeah, watching watching stuff, reading, sitting outside in my new chair. I bought an outdoor chair. This is kind of I got very excited about my outdoor chair, sitting out the back, having a little a wee little cocktail and um, reading my book. So you know, yeah. we've, we've got a whole grim pop thing going on here from yeah. the quest. You know what what did. Uh, what did Ion Man, which is Rob Jan, do? He went out on his mountain bike. I know. What did, what did Poppy do? Well, she stayed with a computer game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How good was Mythic Quest Season 3? Oh, my God. Yeah, so I was really happy to have that to watch over the break. And yeah. I just, I've always left wanting more, to be honest. So Is there another season? Hopefully. Hopefully. So, it seems like they've... They're always leaving it on a note where there could be more, so fingers crossed. So this is like the the essay that goes with the unasked question. What did Rob and <laughs> Megan do on their holidays? <laughs> I know. Oh, the one other geeky thing I did, which is um, I got back into doing, and similar to you wanting to keep your hands busy, um, the New York Times crossword puzzle because oh, yeah. you can get an app for it and I've started working through the puzzles and the earlier ones in the week are the easier ones. Yeah. So kind of trying to get back into doing cryptic crosswords and the New York Times crossword just as a just as a little time passer. Similar to um if you're building Lego and watching something, I'll be watching something and also be doing the crosswords. So But of course there was huge amounts of content consumed by both of us. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah, uh, reading and, and watching um, shows and uh, television and cinema. I went off to the yes, cinema. Yes, same. Uh, lots of things. Uh, and speaking of cinema, the Golden Globes. So here's our actual, well, you know, the other stuff's all geek-related really. You know, bicycle people are geeks too. Let me tell you, the merch that you can oh, get. You've oh, entered oh, a world, a new world, Rob. Gosh, yeah. hold on to your wallet. <laughs> Actually, I don't hardly use it anymore, but, you know, because I can't find it. It's underneath all the bike parts and <laughs> Accessories. All right, so uh, let's let's have a track which will tell people what we're going to talk about next. Now, this Sounds is uh, Michelle Yeoh, and yeah, of course she can sing. She can do everything, and as we heard on the Golden Globes, she can beat you up for real. <laughs> so this is a, a track called "Love Is Like the Meteor," and it's uh, Michelle Yeoh. Zero G is fun, as you were. That was Love is Like the Meteor by Michelle Yeoh, who can sing, of course, because what can't she do? Uh, And that was to lead into a little bit of a chat or a rundown about the 80th Golden Globe Awards, which were held on the 11th of January in Beverly Hills. Uh, And, you know, of course, here on Zero G, we always take the approach that awards are can be great recognition, but they're not the be all and end all. And there are plenty of fantastic pieces of film, TV, etc. that don't take away golden statues but it is nice to kind of just shout out exactly what happened at these ceremonies so there were lots of nominations of note that fall within our wheelhouse but in the interest of time we'll kind of focus on the winners so plenty of genre winners and also a lot of the films if you wanted to have a look at the list that are just coming out here in Australia now so there's still opportunities to see some of these things in the cinema But, of course, off the back of that track, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once was up for several awards. Sadly missed out on Best Picture for a Musical or Comedy. Um, Banshees of Inner Sheeran took that one away. But 
Michelle Yeoh herself did take away the Best Actress Motion Picture Musical or Comedy Award. And there's such a beautiful moment of Jamie Lee Curtis's like viral overjoyed reaction (laughs) to her win. (laughs) And it was widely shared. And then she shared a picture of her wearing a T-shirt of the moment. And she just looks so stoked at the news. And I think that was just such a really lovely um, uh, note that everybody kind of really latched onto because very well-deserved award. She was amazing in that role. We've talked about it many times here on Zero G, but just fantastic that she took that award away. Uh, also, Ki Hui Kwan won for Best Supporting Actor. He made a very moving, wonderful speech. He made beautiful shout-outs to the Daniels who directed and wrote the film, uh, and so that was really wonderful to see him be recognised as well for his kind of a return to form or a return to Hollywood. And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, despite her really overexcited, beautiful reaction to Michelle's news, she was nommed for Best Supporting Actress but did sadly uh, miss out, and that was for her role. She was nommed for her role in the same film alongside Michelle. Same for the Daniels, as I mentioned. They were nominated and missed out for directing and screenplay categories. But what I will note is they did very well at the recent Critics' Choice Awards. Everything Everywhere All at Once took away Best Picture, Directing Awards, Screenplay Award, and more acting um, awards as well. So fantastic that it's being recognised. And I think it's a bit of a audience favourite as well. So, But it's just nice to see these um, uh, sort of organisations recognising the film as well. Um, moving on from that, Angela Bassett was the one who took away the award for Best Supporting Actress for her emotional role in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, And I think she, I mean, she was capital A acting in that film and I think she really took on selling that moment. And, of course, it's a film largely about grief and recovering from grief and very complex. And I won't say any more because I don't want to spoil anything, obviously, but she did a really lovely job, I thought, in that film. They can reference back to the Zero G episode where we covered Indeed, we did an episode of Black Panther Wakanda Forever and that is available on rrr.org.au on the Zero G page. So you can listen to what our thoughts were on that film, which were mixed from what I remember, Um, but definitely props because that was a difficult film to pull off and for her a pretty interesting role. We also have animated Best Picture, which went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I think we'll be talking a little bit more about that because you've seen that, Rob. Oh, I have, and it was it was amazing. It was just as dark and <laughs> as what we expect from and, Del Toro, and, and to fun be honest. Filled for children, as you would imagine. <laughs> uh, so let's revisit. We'll revisit that, but that one did take away animated best picture and has been doing pretty well in some of the other award ceremonies too. Um, Best Picture, non-English language, went to Argentina in 1985, which I thought I'd mention because that's a historical film um, that's sort of set during the military dictatorship in Argentina of the 80s. That one seems like a bit of an interesting tense. There's a group of lawyers racing against the clock. So I hadn't heard of that one before but thought I would just drop it and mention here. Um, Also, Best Song for Motion Picture went to the surprise word-of-mouth hit and the acclaimed Triple R. So that's a Bollywood film. And that went to the track Natu Natu by Chandra Bose and M.M. Kiravani. And that track also went well at the Critics' Choice Awards as well. So that was for Best Song for Motion Picture. Just moving to TV, a couple of notes on those awards. Best Drama Series, in area, real surprise. Uh, this went to House of the Dragon. Personally, I think that's a bit of a shame as someone who just started watching Severance, which I will talk a little bit about later. Um, would have liked to see that pick up a bit more, but House of the Dragon 
seems to be it was a bit of a standout favorite of the time uh and then finally it's worth noting that ryan murphy um who's had a long and storied career in tv did receive the carol burnett award which recognizes people who've made a difference in that industry so he of course has worked on a couple of plenty of genre things screen queens the american horror story anthologies the american crime story anthologies and many more other adjacent dramas and so on so uh, he took away that kind of recognition award. And we had a few near misses that I'll just mention in acting categories for roles we've liked personally. Jenna Ortega for her role as Wednesday did not pick up the award, but we recognize her here. Same as Diego Luna for Andor and Adam Scott for Severance. Um, they were all nominated, missed out, but um, thought I would drop them a mention. Um, Could you imagine Wednesday reacting to not getting an award? <laughs> I'd love to see it, to be honest. I think she would have done a fantastic speech, but say, I think she's I, at the I, start of a long career. I am depressed. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the Golden Globes uh, held earlier in the month. Again, um, plenty of oh, it's award season, so we'll probably tap on some of the highlights over the time as they come out and mainly just highlight movies or anything that we sort of latch on to. Um, that we've particularly enjoyed. Thank you, Megan. Good wrap-up. No I hope they enjoy all of their trophies. <laughs> <laughs> hope they enjoyed the after parties. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, imagine if um, uh, there was an alien predator who, instead of collecting skulls and spinal columns and, <laughs> and skeletons and stuff, collected, like, awards trophies. Oh, be God, like, they'd be in trouble. That's a good premise for a movie, actually. It is actually. It's kind of like um, the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, like you head down to where they all live and kind of yeah. and hold yeah. on to your clutch onto your trophies. It's I, I predators think in town. I, I think we're in sort of like um, mistakenly good intention, bad ideas. Like uh, James Gunn and the, the the bringing home the bacon from the Guardians of the oh. Galaxy holiday special. <laughs> Uh, simply mentioned Pinocchio. I have caught up with that, which is on yeah. Netflix. Oh, uh, there you go. Come watch it at home. Great. And, and so specifically, it's like, you know, Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. It's uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And it's, you know, you know, we were in Pan's Labyrinth territory here, which I, I think was um, set during the Spanish Civil War. Mm. So they've set this one during, on the aftermath of World War One. Mm-hmm. And during the uplift of the fascist regime in Italy, gracious, the World War Two. You know, not exactly where you would think. Pinocchio is <laughs> a bit dark, though. Anyway, though, right? It is. You know, and if you think that the, the Disney version wasn't dark enough for you, this is the the next one. Well, it's done with stop animation. It's glorious. Right. Beautiful. Oh, it's like I'm thinking of other stop animated films I've seen using kind of puppets, and it's like. Um, Oh, there's one called Strings where oh. they used marionette-type puppets. Amazing. It was like, there was like CGI involved as well. Uh, and But this is like amazingly forceful in its use of the animation medium and the stop animation. And they've done so much work on it and it's all up there on screen. And wow. the cast, the voice cast, like David Bradley, who's been playing um, kind of like the the first Doctor Who in mm. uh, in that series. Uh, Ewan McGregor is the voice of the cricket. Oh, cute. And, and any time he tries to sing, they literally stomp on him. 
Oh, I love when McGregor get, sings. He gets How a whole he? number at the end of the film where they let, okay, him, good. let him rip. Good, good, um, good. Like Burn Gorman from Torchwoods there, and his his uh, stop animation um, creation actually looks like him, which is very funny. Ron Perlman, oh, you know that uh, Del Toro alumni, he's there. Um, Kate Blanchett, uh, Tilda Swinton, Christoph Waltz. Oh, just, just, he's going to attract trouble. the big names, and I think – I think that's great. What a stacked cast. Yeah. And there's a little making of documentary too on Netflix as well for it. So you can catch up with that. We might revisit that later, but it's definitely one to see. Yep. Yep. Um, And it also has Finn Wolfhard doing a little bit of a voice cameo as a a little boy uh, who befriends uh, Pinocchio. And it's it's charming and horrific at the same time. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. You know, so like uh, think – uh, a book of life, okay. With that exploration of the Mexican Day of the Dead and so on, but, oh, but gotcha. you know, with yep. Pinocchio instead. And yeah, there is a kind of a whale type uh, creature in it, a, mm-hmm. a giant mm-hmm. dogfish. So there's lots of riffs, and we get to meet Mussolini, which is <sighs> obviously a low life light. Can't in the say show. that was yeah on my bucket list, but I mean it's interesting the setting, and I think um, del- yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And it's I like the fact execution. that. Um, Originally, like Pinocchio wants to become a real boy and has to become yeah. a good boy yeah. to be in order. To, this is not like that. <laughs> well, it's Del Toro, as I've said before. It's going to be much more yeah. grey area, right? Yeah. Check it out on Netflix. So nice. Del Toro's Pinocchio. So let's have a track with. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I've dug out something from Finn Wolfhard's band. So we did have a uh, a band earlier, but he's now in a band called the Aubreys, and they've been kicking around since about 2019. Uh, and I've picked out a track called Loved One. So let's hear a little bit from the Aubreys, which is the band of Finn Wolfhard from Pinocchio, amongst other things. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. That was Loved One, in case you didn't get that. That is by Finn Wolfhard's band, uh, The Aubreys. Finn Wolfhard, of course, has a small voice role in the new Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And we know and love him from Stranger Things, his role as Mike. And uh, I'm hoping to see a lot more of him. He was also in the new Ghostbusters movie and a couple of other things. So, yes, one to watch, Finn Wolfhard. Mm. Uh, moving on, something that I watched over the break and have been talking to everybody about is the film Triangle of Sadness. It's by uh, director Ruben Ostland and it is out at the cinemas. And just to give you a little bit of a rundown, I'll first add a disclaimer. So it's not for the weak-stomached, let's put that that way, but I am one of said weak stomached and I covered my eyes and it was fine. And I would also say the portion, Rob's face. Oh, come on. <laughs> you, you got me to watch that, that cannibal comedy f- fresh. <laughs> I know and it's still scargy. But I just can't, the bod- bodily functions I can't do, but it's done so well and it's very over the top and it's the climax of the film. So you have to, don't let that deter you, but I will just drop a small mention of that here. But, okay, premise. Uh, I've watched a lot of films in the genre of what I call eat the rich. So right before the break and as we headed off from zero G 2022, I'd just seen the menu, which is another amazing film. It's on Disney plus right now. If you want to catch it, it's set at a restaurant on an Island 
um, directed by Mark Mylord. Check that one out. It's another Eat the Rich satire thriller, uh, perfectly acted. It has Ray Fiennes in it. But I'd come off the back of that. Then I'd headed into Triangle of Sadness. And now this is about the uber rich. They're on a luxury yacht holidaying. And then it's also a little bit above deck, below deck. There's a range of service staff and we see the perspectives of everybody on the yacht and all of their different roles. And they kind of, we're just on this regular holiday until things take a turn. Uh, it's, it's actually set in three acts. The first act, um, we kind of follow a young couple uh, and we, it's a very well-written, tense evening and we get to know them, Carl and Yaya, a model and an influencer. And then the second act is takes place on the yacht and contains the sequence that I mentioned. Uh, and this is also kind of the climax point of the film. And then the third act is, I won't spoil what that is actually, we'll leave that to be a surprise. It is in the trailer if you want to check that out. Uh, Woody Harrelson plays the captain, uh, but it's mostly a series of excellent unknown actors or lesser known actors throughout the film. It is weird. It is tense. It is definitely, um, if you like Yorgos Lathamos, the lobster um, and so on, things like that, you'd be very interested in this. Um, The director's previous films include The Square, which is kind of an attack on the art industry, and Force Majeure as well. So he's kind of, we're in the realm of very interesting, thought-provoking, very over-the-top, but at the same time it's both funny, sad, amazing. Triangle of Sadness. So I saw that and loved it and would highly, highly recommend. Had that one been on, had you seen that at all? It doesn't, it's not firmly within Zero G territory, but I just loved it so much. I just really had to mention. What's on my radar, definitely, um, Mm. as is uh, uh, that film you mentioned before the break, uh, Menu. The Menu. The Menu, yeah. And in terms of um, Eat the Rich, (laughs) I don't know if I can recommend it. There's a 1989 movie called Society. Oh, okay. And it's directed by Brian Yasna, and it's a pretty crude film and relatively low budget, but uh, it's got kind of Lovecraftian. Um, and this is like the 80s, so they were full on into uh, prosthetics. And uh, it's it's kind of like um, I, I, can't, I have difficulty describing it. Lovecraft meets The Thing, and I mean John Carpenter's one. Um, it's, it's that's def- that's a, another a, not for the weak stomach day. No, it's a crude, messed up film. But you oh, know, if you're a buff, you might want to have a look. Eat the rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know where they've been. So I, I have my doubts. Oh, absolutely. But I do think there's a bit of a focus on this focus on the this examination of the uber rich and the wealthy and what that looks like. And I think. Knives Out, Glass Onion also yes. falls into this category, mm. which is something else that I think we both watched the day it came out on Netflix. We did. We did. You know, I mean, uh, the director isn't too keen on having it being called uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery because he thinks that's kind of a bit naff. Because it is a bit naff. Because it is. Um, <laughs> look, it's a – don't think of it as a sequel to Knives Out because it's not really, it, except it is – the further adventures of our, it, our, our southern detective. Yeah, this is how I want my detective stories. I want anthology. I want we're just following the one detective. I'm happy to see his life. I'm happy to see him evolve. But I want new characters, new mysteries, new settings. And from what I can tell, that's the approach we're going to be taking with this trilogy. Mm, so it's the further adventures of Benoit Blanc. 
Yes. And played by Daniel Craig. And brilliantly played, too, with his eclectic southern accent. He's fallen back into the accent beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing you have to realise about these two movies now is that they are send-ups. Yes. Of the great detective genre, so yes. you know we really we really are riffing off of Agatha Christie detectives and half a dozen other ones too. Yeah, and this one is set and- on a a tech millionaire's billionaire's island. Mm-hmm. So we got all sorts of things like you know there's a bit it's a bit zucky it's a bit musky. Yeah, um, you know, and it's just a a great film actually. I, I really enjoyed this one and highly recommend it. Just as a romp, you don't actually have to have seen uh, Knives Out. No, not at all. But I would recommend having watched that first. I'd encourage you to. I enjoyed it too. I did find I didn't um, love it as much as I love the first one, but I enjoyed the setting. I thought it was pretty clever shift. I liked the cast of characters, and by liked I mean I hated them, but that was the whole point. Um, <laughs> Craig is amazing as usual. I think he's just so magnetic, especially when he's in a fun role. I screamed when I saw there's a special cameo uh, oh. at the start of the film, and I, I teared up. I was so excited. I just I leapt off my seat, and then I had to explain to Carl, my partner, who the person was, and I was horrified that he did not know. But as a Died in the Wool mystery fan, um, you, you should recognise said cameo. So that was, and that's just another nod to the fact Ryan Johnson's obviously a detective mystery fan. He's just having fun with these stories. That's how it should be taken. It's not meant to be a deep cutting satire. It's fun and silly. Yeah, we'll probably drill down into this properly later yeah. on in the year. But, you know, it's got Ed Norton, Janelle Monae. Yeah. Uh, oh, Catherine... the cast is A+, plus, like yeah. incredible. Catherine Hahn. So, you know. Oh, so happy she was there. WandaVision territory there. Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista. You know, it's just, and so many great cameos too. Yeah. yeah but... Such good such a good um, cast of characters. Yeah, and a good story. So check that one out. Where Where's that one to be found? Uh, that one's on Netflix. So the two uh, follow-ups to Knives Out will be on Netflix because they bought the rights to the rest of the trilogy for a large sum for a head headline-inducing sum of money um, after the success of Knives Out, uh, which was a bit of a sleeper hit. Let's have uh, Nathan Johnson's theme from the Glass Onion soundtrack. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. Yeah, having a little play, that very atmospheric track from Glass Onion. Yeah. The latest of Knives Out mystery on on Netflix. Lots of fun. One thing that was just as thought-provoking, probably not as fun in tone, I did also check out uh, I'm very late to the game on this one, Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, I think we'll revisit this. I'd love to revisit this later because I'm loving it so far. Uh, it's directed by Ben Stiller and Afe McArdle. So Ben Stiller directs quite a lot of the episodes. Uh, it's, I describe it as a sci-fi psychological thriller and it's got the same kind of futuristic retro aesthetic that we saw a bit in Loki. So the computers are like kind of old style, TV's old style, but it's got there's some weird sci-fi dystopian stuff going on as well. Basically the premise is you can go to work, your work self has one set of memories, 
and your outside self has another set of memories. So you're severed, you're two people essentially. And the more you watch it, the more it raises really interesting questions. I'd say it's incredibly moody. We're strongly in kind of the realm that Black Mirror opened up to us and the world building is incredible so far. It's got Adam Scott, John Turturro, Christopher Walken, Patricia Arquette, really great cast, uh, and I would strongly recommend that. I've only seen four episodes. I haven't finished it yet. I know I've seen five episodes, but um, from what I've seen so far, absolutely in my wheelhouse. Really would love to discuss with you, Rob, if we uh, get a chance in a future show. Oh, well, yeah, we'll pop it onto the Zero G must look at list. Yeah. Along with the latest season of Boys and uh, <laughs> Peripheral and Umbrella Academy. There's just. There's so much so stuff. Much. But I think some of the Apple TV things, I, I don't know what happens. They don't get quite as much traction. I think severance has been a bit of a popular word of mouth one, but I, I, I've really, I was sleeping on it and now I'm, I'm, I'm on it. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I've been watching Better Call Saul while I've been doing Lego or have mm-hmm. I been doing Lego while watching Better Call Saul? <laughs> it's hard to say. Depends how hard the Lego is. <laughs> and, um, yeah, six seasons. I've been watching it on Stan, uh, and you know this is the prequel to Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. but it also functions as a bit of a sequel too, just as um, the mm-hmm. El Camino uh, Jesse Pinkman movie did. Yeah, because there yep. are flash forwards. Interesting. To new identity, and it's basically the story of Slippin' Jimmy McGill, aka Saul Goodman. Mm-hmm. The man mm-hmm. who defines the definition of shyster. And Does it so well, though. <laughs> there are so many depths to this. This is far, far more than just an excuse for uh, extended cameos of characters mm. like Gus Thring and Mike Ermentrout. And I mean, we'll take those cameos. We too. will those take are great those absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, this is way more than just that. But it also fulfills that function excellently too. Uh, so, you know, basically it's his earlier career, his relationship with his brother, Chuck McGill, who's a respected lawyer, mm-hmm. way more respected than Saul. Uh, and he, he's a piece of work in so many different aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Saul's um, uh, relationship with lawyer Kim Wexler, played by Rhea Seahorn. We know it's Bob Odenkirk playing Saul, of course. Yep. Uh, and it is a strong show, and you can see why it's been nominated for so many different awards over its run. Um, you know, absolutely worth catching up. It's one I do want to do on Zero G2. Yep. It's not quite strictly speaking as science fiction-y, and I mean science fiction-y as in science, Mr. White, <laughs> as in Breaking Bad was. Um, but it's so weird and, <clears throat> you know. I've sort of taken it that anything a bit weird also is in our wheelhouse. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. and you know, it's it's lawyer procedural lawyer show. We love a procedural. Oh my yeah, god! I, I think... want to see She Hulk, Saul Goodman crossover. Oh, and Daredevil too. <laughs> Daredevil too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely excellent. Six seasons, uh, and it's on uh, Stan amongst other places too. I think you can get it. By now, you can probably pick it up on DVD as well. Yeah, I imagine so. I mm. uh, also went and saw uh, Avatar, The Way of Water. and Yes. You know. What did you think? Because I had flatly said to you before the break, no, Rob, I'm not seeing it. What was your thoughts? All right. Well, I actually feel I – look, I liked the first Avatar. I felt it was, it was close to the moment of exploitation of 
um, native people, indigenous people in in different places, the way that humans do on mm-hmm. Earth now. Yes, um, timely story for this month as well here I, in Australia. I, I might have had some issues with the white saviour complex mm. on the show there, which translates into the strong right arm of an Earthman trope mm. of science fiction as well. Yeah. And yeah. I still have issues with those, but still a magnificent film visually and and audibly as well with its amazing yeah. soundtrack. This one, it's set in largely in the oceans of Pandora. Yeah. Which gives James Cameron a chance to trot out his absolute love of the sea. He's obsessed with the sea. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we are kind of in Titanic territory in a way, but so much much more. Uh, mm. And, you know, yeah, the, the epic spectacle is there on display. It's no surprise that um, the humans come back for another try at exploiting Pandora and they do it in force and, you know, this is yeah. not just a mining colony. It looks like they're here to stay yeah, to colonise Pandora and that yeah, presumably gosh. will inform the rest of the films going forwards. Yeah, uh, It's also no surprise that, that many of the cast are returned, even ones who get killed because they have advanced cloning technology. How so, convenient. Well, it, it is what it is. It's part of the, it's part of the name, Avatar, you know. That yeah, you, sure. You have to, as a science fiction uh, franchise, you have to explore some of that. So, mm, yeah, mm, excellent mm. film uh, in 3D. I, I saw it. Oh, you did go to the 3D. Yeah, How was that? I did an IMAX it. Uh, I didn't feel able to get to the IMAX at the time because it was a fair trip for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, great 3D, you know, okay. glorious. And just to see on the large scale everything from um, massive sea battle, as you can imagine, you know. It's, yeah. This is Avatar. It's not a, a small-scale production. But it's James Cameron. It's not a small-scale production. But you also get um, – it's a very much family story, this one, more about um, uh, Jake Sully and the Tiras. Um, children, yeah, okay. Than the, than their actual sort of family unit, yeah, uh, be beyond them. So very complicated in in that aspect. I really appreciated that. I okay. like the fact that they extended that story out, um, but also so so sea orientated, yeah. Uh, you know, even beyond like an Aquaman movie or a, yeah. or a Namor submariner sort of thing, yeah. Um, and there's a little little moment where one of the one of the children is floating in the shallows, absolutely fascinated by the play of light and shade on the sand. Mm-hmm. So, I actually think that they've dived deeper okay. into the environment. You know, and there's a little bit sort of like um, monoculture environmental setting, like you know where you get like uh, ice planets and yeah. planets. Yeah. So, okay, we've had the jungle one. And the forest one. Now we're in the ocean one. A little yeah. bit of that. That's okay, okay. because it, it's appropriate. I'm, I'm, they'll do something else in the next one. Uh, I loved it. I just felt like okay. this is what cinema is about to see a, a big production. Yeah, mm. you know, you can say, oh, well, I've seen this before. And that. But to be honest, at my age, there's very little I haven't seen in cinema and television. Very true. Love how they do it. Uh, I think, yeah, like, you know, we're always sort of having a bit of a throwback, like, oh, it's reminiscent of this or throwback to this or reminds us of this. But that's kind of where we're at now and it's about how well it's done and how it makes you feel and how much of an enjoyment, how much enjoyment you got out of it. You know, in terms of um, 
water-based science fiction films. <laughs> they don't come any better than this, really. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm still not going to see it, but um, I can respect it. I can respect it. How's that? How's that? And you know what? I would have thought it would have been impossible to make us loathe Earth <laughs> humans more, exploit, exploiting Earth humans more than they did in Avatar. Yeah. But in this one, they challenge accepted. Yeah, challenge accepted. In this one, they introduced the uh, extraterrestrial equivalent of whaling. Oh, great! <laughs> so yeah, strong okay. stuff, strong themes, and, and yeah. yeah. But you know, I mean, I just I love the hell out of it. Like, I can't wait to see the next one. And okay. this is what I want to twenty years. <laughs> no, no, no. They've been working on the other one. Maybe in oh, 20, they are. Okay. Maybe in fifteen years. <laughs> You know, I thought this is the sequel that you hadn't necessarily asked to see, but mm. I'm pretty glad that I actually have seen it. Mm. I don't know how it would play out in 2D. I'm probably not quite as effective. No. And it's getting hard to see 3D sessions. It's definitely, I mean, it's interesting. Avatar kind of was the beginning of 3D. It was pretty amazing at the time. And then we went through our 3D phase and it's really tapered off in the years mm. since. So You can't buy 3D tallies. No, um, and like you said, 3D sessions are fewer because people have less interest. Um, I, my, yeah, we're, my we're fickle. Is, my interest is still very strong. I'd, yeah, but I'd say you're in the minority, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to get, like, uh, copies of uh, Marvel movies in 3D. They're still done. Like, you can usually yeah. get a, a, a copy from Japan. Yeah. And I really want to see them. It's so hard to do. Yes, well. We're kind of, kind of wrapping it up for Zero-G today. I mean, I could... Yeah. There's one thing I wanted to note that I'm really excited about but have not caught yet is I've noticed the um, the Last of Us TV series yeah. is yeah. about begun. Um, I'm scared of it because video game adaptations oh. don't have a great track record, but I've heard from all accounts this one does it well. It has Pedro Pascal in it, whom we love. Oh. And, I mean, what else do you need? But it's such, I mean, that game, that video game is uh, one of my top ones. It's an incredible experience. And so I'm I'm, I'm hesitant but excited. So, Is that a um, zombie apocalypse one or just a play? It is a zombie apocalypse. Okay. Oh, yeah. so picking yeah. up from um, the first of the main Walking Dead franchise phasing yeah. out. We're never going to be without zombie content. But um, I think, and it's an HBO series, and I hate to say, but HBO generally does, mm. does deliver the hits. So we'll see. But, yeah, I'm sure that's on people's radar, but mm. um, just noting my excitement and apprehension. There'll be so many more things that we will be able to talk about in Zero G in 2023. I, I know, just we've got heaps. A, a little kind of, you know, what we did on our holidays. <laughs> I know this. We just touched on it, and it was like an hour's worth, but yeah. um, lots my, of good stuff. My horror coming out. horror days, as I like to call them. I spend <laughs> a lot of time reading horror novels too. Oh gosh, oh, that's, that's, that's that's for another great use of time. That's another can of evil worms. <laughs> <laughs> so we go out today with a yeah. track from uh, Better Call Saul, and this <laughs> is by Junior Brown, and it's a, a really cute advertisement for Saul Goodman. <laughs> and, I, and I love this. It's a great little track. And uh, thanking our podcaster, Alice Savage. Yes, thank you, Alice. Uh, good to see you again, Megan. You too. Thank you, Rob. And good to hear you hearing us, listeners, in <laughs> 2023 fall in zero graffiti terms.
G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.